Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 12. That's where we're going to start tonight, Acts chapter 12. We're going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. And um, we're going to start there. Dave, would you mind turning me down just a little bit? Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So you've been with us this you know, whole time as we've been going through the book of Acts, and so we've covered a lot of ground. But I want you to imagine how they would have felt, because what we're going to talk about tonight is one of the most important things that I've learned about faith and about trusting God and about believing God. And it's, it's found right here in this passage, and we're going to get to it in just a minute. But I want you to think about how they would have felt, okay? James, this is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is not James who wrote the book of James in the Bible. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. But this is James, the brother of John, James, who was one of the, the inner three of Jesus' disciples. So he was, he was uh, you know, one of the twelve, but not only was he one of the twelve, um, he was one of the inner three. So, you know, Jesus had the twelve disciples, but then he would take Peter, James, and John to, uh, on special things. You know, for example... Uh, he was, James was one of three that was present for the healing of Jairus' daughter. Whenever Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, he only brought Peter, James, and John in. Um, he was one of three of Peter, James, and John that were present at the transfiguration when, when uh, Jesus you know, saw Moses and they heard the voice of God and all of that. He was one of three that Jesus took into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before the crucifixion. So not only was he a disciple, but he was what we might call an elite disciple. He was, you know, maybe a little bit more spiritual, maybe had a a little bit stronger call on his life. Maybe he had a stronger place in the church. And so the early church looked to Peter specifically, but also James and John as the pillars of the church. And now James has been killed. But you got to understand that James wasn't the first one to be killed. As a matter of fact, we would back it up and we would go think about what's happened in the last few years of these men lives and, and these disciples' lives. Think about what they've seen. Okay, first of all, they saw John the Baptist, who was, Jesus said, the greatest prophet ever. They saw John the Baptist beheaded. John, John was not miraculously delivered from, from death. John gave his life for God. It cost him his life. John was beheaded. Then they'd followed Jesus, and really, they didn't believe that Jesus was going to be crucified all the way up until it happened. They kept believing that he was going to, you know, remember Peter rebuked Jesus. He said, no, this isn't going to happen to you. They couldn't, they couldn't believe that it was going to happen. They watched before their eyes Jesus be crucified. Then, what else have they seen? 
up to this point? Well, they saw, they saw Stephen stoned to death. Stephen didn't make it. See, Stephen saw the heavens open. He saw angels. He saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He saw the heavens open, but he wasn't miraculously delivered. He gave his life for the gospel. Now James is arrested. When James is arrested, he's put to death by Herod. So what have they seen so far? Anybody that's been arrested doesn't make it. Okay? And very good people, very spiritual people, very godly people, people that are full of faith, they're arrested and they're killed. And now Peter is arrested. Why should they have any hope? Why should they have any belief that things are going to turn out any different for Peter? Now, I know we can sit here all spiritual, but how many of you, if you were Peter, okay, and you'd seen all these things happening, and now you're arrested and you're in jail, what is going through your mind? What is going through your mind as you sit in prison by, and surrounded by soldiers, and it's on the eve of the, the night that you're, going to be cru- that you're going to be killed, you're going to be executed, what's going through your mind? Because I, I know that I've talked to a lot of Christians, and I've walked through these things myself where what's going on in this moment is the devil is in your ear, and thoughts are in your ear going, look what happened to John. Look what happened to Jesus. Look what happened to Stephen. Look what happened to James. Wonder what's going to happen to you. And what I learned a long time ago is that my faith should never be based on someone else's experience. My faith should never be based on someone else's experience. If you base your faith on someone else's experience, you're going to end up believing lies. If you base your faith on someone else's experience, you're going to end up with faulty theology. You're going to end up having an area of deception in your life. And I see it happen all the time. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, I can talk a little bit about this now. We're such close friends with Pastor Cedric and uh, Pastor Didi over at Global Impact. But, you know, many, some people don't know that they were actually in this building before us. And he and I have talked about this so many times. Um, but they were actually in this building before us. Now, when they attempted to get into this building, it didn't work out for them. They ended up having to leave this building and go back to their old building. And it was a huge step of faith for them to get in this building. But they didn't, they didn't make it. They had to go back to their other building. And I remember whenever we were getting in this building, that, I didn't actually know Pastor Cedric at the time, but I knew of him and I knew of their church. And that was a replay that kept coming back to me. Why do you think your church can make it? Because the church before you didn't make it. What's different about you? And I remember coming back to this again over and over again. You know what? I don't know why that happened to them, but my faith is not based on their experience. I'm not believing for what happened to them to happen to me. I've had to tell people that. I, had, I actually had another pastor tell me when we were starting this church, why are you doing that? You don't need to go start a church in Alexandria. And started telling me all his experience with planning a church and all his experience with pastoring a church and had to tell him and say, look, that's your experience. That's not mine. Okay, I'm not believing God based on your experience. I'm believing God based on his word. 
His word reigns supreme. And guess what? That includes my own experience. The word of God is higher than my own experience. In other words, I may have prayed for something and it didn't happen that the word of God said it could happen. Guess what? The word of God is higher than my experience. My experience is submitted to the word of God. And some people would look at that and they might think, well, that's just, you know, that's foolish or that's too extreme or that's too far out there. Listen, I've already decided if I'm going down, I'm going down believing the word of God. And I would rather stand before God and say, I believed you all the way. (laughs) Even when other people didn't experience it, even when I didn't experience it, I believed you all the way to the end. And if it was foolish, so be it. I'll go down believing it because your word says it. And so I just, want to sh- I just wanted to show you, because you know, we're just coming upon this now in the book of Acts chapter 12. But I wanted you to really see and understand what Peter must have been feeling in that moment. I mean, we just read through it quick because it just happens in a couple verses. But don't think for one second that he wasn't having thoughts sitting in that cell Man, John, Jesus, Stephen, James, everybody I know has died. I guess I need to go ahead and prepare myself to die too because I know I'm not any better than them. No, because guess what? God's plan for you may not be what God's plan was for someone else. And here's the other thing is you never have all the information. You never have all the details. You don't know why that happened to them. You don't know what conversations God was having with them. You don't know if this was part of God's plan. And, and let's move on past these uh, disciples and things like that, but just people in general. You don't know if their life had an area of disobedience that God had been talking to them about. You don't know if they had a lack of faith. You don't know if they had unforgiveness in their heart. You don't know if they were hateful to their spouse because God said, if you're hateful to your spouse, I won't hear your prayers. Hey, you don't know. You don't know what's going on in their life. And you're not going to know because it's none of your business. And here's the way that God has always dealt with me about it. If, if I start looking at someone that I go, man, this person is really godly. They, they're following you. And yet this, this bad thing happened to them. I don't understand how that happened or why. This is what God usually says to me. He goes, let me ask you a question. Have I been good to you? And I go, yes, sir, you've been very good. That's all you need to worry about. You have no business worrying about this other situation or this person's life because I can, I can tell you that whatever's going on with them, you don't have all the information. And that's where trust comes in, right? That's where, trust, that's where true faith comes in and says, above all else, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. Well, if you've read Acts 12, you know that it was not God's plan for Peter to die. It was not God's plan for Peter to die. He had other plans for Peter. Peter was going to live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, Peter was going to die eventually. Peter eventually did give his life for God as a martyr. But he still had several years left in his life. God wasn't, God wasn't through with him yet. So, he's been arrested. Verse 4, when he had seized him... He put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Man, this tells me a lot about the church, too. 
Because not only was Peter still having to walk in faith, but the church had also witnessed all of these things. The church had also seen John, Jesus, Stephen, James killed. And yet when Peter's arrested, what did they do? Because what I see a lot of times with church people in situations like this is there's no prayer that goes forth for something like this. Something happens, you know, something bad happens. They go, well, we'll just leave it up to God. I guess we'll just see what happens. That's not what they did. Even though they had had bad experiences with this, they still went and made earnest prayer. And if you watch ahead, if you read ahead, you know what happens. When Peter escapes by the help of an angel, he finds them praying. They're still praying for him. They're interceding for Peter, even though they'd had bad experiences. Even though maybe they'd been disappointed. Surely they were disappointed when James was killed, right? They were all disappointed when Jesus died. They were disappointed when Stephen was killed. Yet, whenever Peter's arrested, they don't just, they don't just give up and go, well, I guess Peter's going to die too. No, they went into earnest prayer. Maybe they hadn't prayed for the other four, and maybe that's why they went into earnest prayer. Like, well, if we don't, if we don't start praying, we're going to lose everybody. So they, they said, man, Peter got arrested. So they went into earnest prayer. They're praying, they're believing God, and they're making earnest prayer. So I want to encourage you with that. Never base your faith on other people's experiences. It's always, it's, it's never going to turn out well. You will adopt faulty theology contrary to the word of God. You don't ever have all the information and you only know what God is wanting to do with you. And he's not always going to give you answers about why he did a certain thing with other people. So, you know, I remember I've had so many opportunities. I've had so many opportunities throughout my life to, to get my eyes on something negative that happened to someone else that maybe I was believing God for the same thing in the right direction, in the positive direction, but yet I'm seeing somebody else experience something negative, and I'm thinking to myself, well, they prayed, they asked, and they didn't get it. Why, why would I get it? But again, in Scripture, what we see repeatedly is you have to be basing your faith on the Word of God. You have to be basing your faith on what God is telling you, not on other people's experience. Let me show you an example of this in Psalm chapter 91. Psalm chapter 91. This is probably what Peter was praying in the prison anyway. He knew this passage. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells... In the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Everybody say will. will. Doesn't say might. Doesn't say could. Doesn't say possibility. And see, a lot of the promises of God are, a lot of the promises of God are very direct. They're very absolute. There's no wiggle room. Doesn't say he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High might abide in the shadow of the Almighty as long as it's God's will. But then, you know, sometimes bad stuff's still going to happen to them. See, man added that. Man added that part. And this is where I say, if you, in, whatever you believe, okay, whatever you believe about healing, about answered prayer, whatever you believe, 
unfortunately, is most likely a mixture of the Word of God and man's tradition, maybe even your own tradition. And you'll hear all kind of stuff from people. People will say, oh, well, you know, if it, I guess if it's the will of the Lord, you'll get, you'll get that. You know, I guess if it's the will of the Lord, you'll get it. Or somebody doesn't. They say, well, I guess it wasn't the will of God. I'm going to tell you after reading the Bible cover to cover many, many times, that's not always why prayer doesn't get answered is because it wasn't the will of God. There's a lot of other factors. But we just go to that because it's easy. Boy, it, it's, it's so much easier just to blame it all on God. Well, he didn't want it, so it didn't happen. There, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that happens that was not the will of God. A lot of things happen in the Bible that were not the will of God. And that's how some people view the will of God is like, well, if it's the will of God, it's going to happen. Well, that's not the, that's not the case, and I could, I could show you that in many different ways, and, and I'll give you just a few. But in Scripture repeatedly, we, we see things that were not the will of God that happened. For example... It was not the will of God that the children of Israel stay in the wilderness for 40 years. They were supposed to be there one year. That was his plan. He brought them there to test them and humble them. It was going to take one year. It wasn't the will of God for them to be there. It was the will of God for them to be there one year and go into the promised land. Will of God. What thwarted the will of God? What derailed the will of God? Their own sin and their own disobedience. Okay? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We were praying it earlier. That the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means in heaven the will of God is being done perfect. Anybody dying in car accidents in heaven? Any, anybody dying of cancer in heaven? Anybody dying prematurely in heaven? Any divorce in heaven? No. Because why? The perfect will of God is being done. What about on earth? Anybody dying of cancer on earth? Any tragedy, any pain, any death, any heartache on earth? Oh, yeah. Lots of it. Why? Well, the will of God is not being done on earth. That's why he said pray that the will of God be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. The will of God is done perfectly in heaven. It's not done perfectly here on the earth. That's why we're to pray for it. So the will of God is not always automatic, but some of us have been taught that. We've been taught that, well, it's just going to be the will of God. Well, if everything that's done and accomplished is the will of God, then why pray for anything? The will of God is going to be done anyway, whether you pray or don't pray. But that's not what Jesus taught about prayer. That's not what Jesus taught about faith. So this is a faulty mindset. It's not a biblical mindset, but it's a mindset that a lot of people have. It's a, lot of, it's a mindset that a lot of people have been taught. And it's one of the worst and saddest places to hear it is at funerals. You go to a funeral and people act like, oh, this person's dead because of the will of God. And you hear crazy things like, well, God needed another flower in his garden in heaven. He needed another angel in the choir. That is just foolishness. No, the, the, tell you what the will of God is. The, the will of God says that if you're obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. He promises us that we'll have long life. He'll satisfy you with long life. That's the will of God. And you go, yeah, but, but, but this. Okay, you're bringing in other experience. You're, bringing, you're, you're deviating from the word of God. And this is what I always want to ask people is, well, if you do believe that, then where's the scripture that informed your thinking? Where's the word of God Where's the, the, the Bible passage that you're basing your faith on for that? 
Well, I was just taught. No, not just what you're taught, not just what you experienced. What does the Word of God say? Because let me tell you something. Everything else is faulty. Nothing else deserves your allegiance, your devotion, and your faith like the Word of God. So a lot of, you got to go ahead and settle that in your mind. A lot of things happen in this world that are not the will of God. This is why in the book of 1 Peter, we are told, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, why do you have to resist the devil if everything that's accomplished is the will of God? Well, you've got to resist the devil. And does it matter if you resist the devil or if you don't resist the devil? The Bible tells us to resist the devil. Well, what if you don't resist the devil? Is it going to matter one way or another? If you don't resist the devil, is there potential that some of his plans and purposes could be accomplished in your life? Well, sure, that's why he tells you to resist him. He says, you've been given power, you've been given authority over the devil. So we're to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, will the devil flee from you if you don't resist him? I mean, if so, there's no point in that scripture. So, no, the Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come that you may have life. You ever experienced any stealing, killing, destroying in your life? In any areas of your life? It's not God. God doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And it's even sad that we've got to convince people of this. <laughs> but some people have this thing in their mind of like horrible things happen and they blame it on God. Listen, let me just tell you that God wants good for his kids. He wants good for his people. But we do live in a broken world where things don't operate as they should. We live in a world that is cursed. We live in a world that is full of sin. We live in a world where Satan still has a lot of authority. It's a broken world. And many people don't understand that. And so that all they know is, well, God's all-powerful, so everything that happens is him. No, he, he, the way that the world has been set up and the way that the world has been designed is that man had been designated authority and power. And then we turn that authority over to Satan. It's a much longer sermon. I think most of you know the basics of that. But, but here's the point. Realize that we live in a very broken world. And that the will of God is not automatically accomplished just because it's the will of God. There may be things in your life that God's wanting to happen, wanting you to have. And there are scriptural instruction about how to get that. And how for it to be accomplished in your life. So let's keep reading Psalm 91. This is a promise of God. It's absolute. There's no wiggle room. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you. He will will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. And I love verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
You see, this is the, this is the kind of arrogant, or I should say confident faith that gets on people's nerves right here. This is the kind of faith that is clearly not based on other people's experience. Now, remember, this is coming from David, who was a warrior, and he actually literally was on the battlefield where he saw people falling left and right. He saw people falling around him. And this is what he said, a thousand will fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. In other words, and I, and I know how that sounds to people. Well, you think you're better than everybody? You think you're like more holy than those other people around you? You think you got something special on your life? I have no idea. I, I don't know anything about them. All I know is God is good to me. And this is what he said. He said he would cover me with his wings. And that's what I'm believing for. Now, how could a thousand... He could say it this way. A thousand may fall at my side... And 10,000 at my right hand, but I'm still not adjusting my faith. I'm, I'm still not going to change what I believe. Like when the first one fell, the second one fell, the third one fell. I'm still believing for perfect and divine protection on my life. Why? Because my faith is not based on their experience. And I don't care if 1,000 fell. I don't care if 10,000 fell on this side. I'm still believing that it's not coming near me. And that was how David believed. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have not met a lot of Christians that think like this. Most Christians, if anybody was to talk like this, most Christians would be irritated. Most people would be like, you just, you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I mean, let's put it in modern terms. I mean, let's just, let's apply it to COVID. Didn't he say the pestilence? He said the pestilence, that's a disease. Any of you been thinking like this? Hey, a thousand will fall at my side, ten thousand on my right hand. It ain't coming near me. Anybody been thinking like that? I don't know many that have. And I'll be the first to tell you, I already had COVID. I had COVID twice. I'm still believing. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that because, yeah, stuff happens. But you know what? I'm still believing God. I'm still believing God. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that because I trust God for my health. I trust God for my... If I can trust God with my salvation and my eternity, I can trust God with my health and my time here on this planet. He's got my eternity in his hand. And if that's not secure, and if, that, if, if I can't trust him with that, what difference does it make if my life is extended here on this planet? No, he can be trusted with my eternity to hold my eternity secure, much less my time here on this fickle temporary earth so regardless of how it sounds to other people this is the correct mindset when it comes to believing God even for things like COVID or other things that people you know people die of cancer people think things happen I understand but I believe a thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand but it's not coming near me and the more that you believe that and declare that the more the more likely that that's going to be a reality in your life. And Paul talked about having that, Paul talked about that there's a fight to faith. There's a fight to stay in faith. And one time for a, another sermon I was doing, I went through and I wrote down every time in Matthew and Mark 
that Jesus looked at somebody and said, according to your faith, let it be done. It was like 25 or 30 times just in, the, just in those two gospels that he looked at somebody and said, according to your faith, be healed. Because of your faith, let it be done to you according to how you believe. So our faith plays a part in it. So a lot of times making this declaration, reading scriptures, reading passages like this, you may not have arrived at that place of faith, but you see you're, you're exercising your faith so that you can arrive there. See, when I read this and I say, a thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it's not coming near me, what's happening? My faith is being strengthened. I may not 100% believe that yet. Maybe I still have some doubt. Maybe my faith is weak. Maybe I, maybe I have got my eyes too much on other people's experience. But every time I say this and I read this, my faith is strengthened. And I go, no, I'm, I'm getting my eyes on this. What's happening? My faith is rising. My faith is growing. And, and I've had walks of faith with God that have taken me years to arrive at the place of victory for that. But, some, but see, a lot of people don't understand anything about there having to be a fight to faith like Paul talked about. Hey, let me just, this is, this is how you'll, you'll know. If you have anxiety about anything, you're not in faith in that area. If you have stress, you're not in faith in that area. If you have knots in your stomach, you are not in faith about that area. You go, well, that's, that's normal. No, it's normal for everyday human living of how our culture lives. But this kind of faith that he's saying right here, all of that fear has been killed. It's dead. It's not even, it's not even alive. See, anxiety is a symptom. Stress is a symptom. It's revealing what's going on in here. And some people live with it every day. It's like one of their best friends. They, they just have it around all the time. They're so used to anxiety and stress. They wouldn't even know what to do if they did. Whenever they don't have any anxiety and stress, they think something is wrong. You ever been around somebody like that? They're so used to anxiety and stress that when they're actually at peace, they think something's wrong. So they go create drama. <laughs> they go create it because like, everything's fine. There's, there must be something wrong. They're, they're so used to living with it. But actually, anxiety, stress, those types of things, it's just a... It's like a check engine light letting you know there's something wrong. And it always goes back to a core belief in an area. You could trace it back. If you trace back stress and anxiety, you keep asking questions, why am I stressed? Why am I bothered? It always goes back to a wrong belief that you have in that area. You don't believe God is going to take care of it. You don't believe God is big enough to, to handle it. You believe that if you don't perform or, or you don't do that, you're going to lose your job or you won't, have, you won't be financially secure or on and on and on. You can, go, you can go through it. And I have learned that when I experience anxiety and stress, it actually comes back to a lack of faith. In that area, somehow, some way, I'm not believing God. I'm not trusting God. And we're not used to living like that. We just think you have anxiety and stress, you take a pill and, and it's fine. Well, yeah, but it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from somewhere. So I love this. David says, a thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand. 
but it will not come near me. Are you, are you bold enough to say that? Are you bold enough to declare that over your life and over your situation without any clarifiers, without any caveats, without any asterisks? Are you, are you bold enough to say, a thousand will fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it is not coming near me or my family? Because that's truth. And that's Bible. Amen? Amen. Now, what about Peter? (laughs) Peter, he's in prison. Maybe he hasn't seen a thousand fall or ten thousand fall, but he's seen a handful fall and it's made him nervous. (laughs) Or did it? Because if you read about him, verse 6 now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, in other words, it's, it's the night before his execution, Peter was sleeping. You remember where he learned that? You remember when they were in the boat? <laughs> you remember when they were in the boat and the storms were, were all around? The boat was about to sink, and where did they find Jesus? In the back, sleeping. And at that time, it irritated, it irritated Peter that Jesus was sleeping. It irritated Peter that Jesus was not under stress and under anxiety and walking in worry. Why? Because Jesus had no stress or anxiety or worry because he walked in 100% faith. He had 100% faith that God was going to protect him, that storm wasn't even anything. Listen, Jesus did not need to rebuke that storm in order for them to get across safely to the other side. He never would have rebuked the storm. He would have just slept right through the storm. The storm wasn't bothering him. He was just sleeping in the back. He would have just went right through the storm and made it on the other side in safety because he had so much confidence that God was going to take care of him. The only reason he got up and rebuked the storm was because the disciples disturbed him and woke him up. And he rebuked the storm for their sake. He never was going to rebuke the storm. He didn't need to in order to get to the other side. So Peter now, maybe he learned the lesson. Because on that very night, right before he's going to be executed, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Isn't that funny? Because sometimes if you, if you look at a person who's going through something really difficult and everyone around them is upset and everyone around them is very high emotions and they, and they feel like you are calm, then they feel like you just don't care enough. Like They feel like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you upset? I don't think you're taking this serious enough. Something's wrong with you. That, or maybe they're just at rest trusting God. And that was the same thing they said to Jesus in the boat. They said, do you not care that we perish? They interpreted his peace for him not caring. In other words, when, when we're all up in arms and we're all full of anxiety and we're all in emotion and we're all running around in a tizzy, we want everybody to feel that way. And if there's one person sitting there who's not feeling that way, we go, they don't care. If they cared, they'd be acting like me. They'd be just as upset as I am, full of anxiety as I am. They'd, they'd show a little bit of emotion, show that they care. Well, not if they're in faith and so they're not worried. Now, I understand sometimes people do that because they, they do have a lack of emotion and they don't care. But Jesus, it, Jesus wasn't 
at peace and not showing emotion because he didn't care. No one could love more than Jesus loved. It's just he was 100% sure that there was nothing to worry about. He knew that God was going to take him across to the other side. So same thing. Peter is here sleeping, bound with chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Let me ask you a question before we go any further here. Why did God wait until the very last night, the very last possible moment before he delivered Peter? And, and, and why does God do that in general? I mean, I'd like to ask him one day. But do you notice that we don't really know how long Peter had been in jail? Um, if it was a week, God could have sent the angel on night one, Right? He's got plenty of them. There's no reason he couldn't have sent the angel on night one. He could have sent it on night two. He could have sent him on night three. Why did he wait until the night before Peter already fell asleep? The execution is the next morning, and that's when he sends the angel. I can't tell you exactly why, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but all I know is it, it is a little bit of a consistent pattern with the Lord. And I think he's looking for faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. And this is what I know uh, about Peter if he's in that situation. On night one, his faith was probably really high. Night two, it had waned just a little bit. Night three, still not delivered. Night four, no angel showed up yet. Night five, night six... Night seven. Now we're at the night before. He knows I'm being executed in the morning. You see, this is the moment of, of most difficulty for his faith because now we're down to the wire. Now we're down to the wire. Is God going to come through or not? How many times have I heard stories about people praying, believing, and I had to have it, and I had to have, you know, I needed God to come through, and if he didn't come through, the whole thing was going to fall apart. And, and, then it, and then like the day before, this it happens and God comes through. Why is that so consistent? Why does that happen? Well, I believe it's because that's the most difficult time to be in faith is when you're down to the wire and you're just about to be at that moment where God didn't come through. But you have to stay in faith. You have to believe God all the way down to the wire. And I like the way that the Hebrew children said it, the Shadrach uh, Meshach and Abednego, I like the way they told Nebuchadnezzar they're facing the fiery furnace. They're about to get thrown in. And, and they looked at him and they said, look, you, you're making all these threats at us. Look, I can feel the heat of the furnace right behind me. You're making all these threats, but we just want to let you know that we're not bowing down to you. And that our God is going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, 
We're still not bowing down to you. That was their attitude of, we're, we're trusting God to come through. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing down to you. And when it comes down to the wire, a lot of time that's the kind of faith you have to have is I'm, I'm trusting God and I will go down trusting God. I don't care. But I'm going to believe God all the way to the end. And so, night before, <laughs> last night, down to the wire, the angel shows up. And notice how, notice how effortless it is for God. Angel walks in. Doesn't struggle with the lock and key. Just falls off. Doesn't even use the handle on the gate. They're just approaching it. It just swings open. It's effortless. It's no, it's no effort. It's no problem. It's like, it's like if I needed to believe God for $10 or I need to believe God for $5 million, it's like in our minds, it's this huge amount of faith and this, this little faith. In it, but he's going, it's the same for me. It's just as easy. It's, it's no more difficult to do that. That's why he said all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. You don't have to have tremendous faith to get it from God, but it does have to be real faith. So it's effortless. The angel just, just comes and opens the gate, and the, the, it's the guards, the chains, the gates, it's as if they weren't even there. It was just nothing for God. They went out, went along the street, verse 10, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Why? They were believing God. They were standing, they were praying, they were, they were interceding for Peter, believing that God would perform a miracle. They hadn't given up, they hadn't gone home, they were going to pray until they got an answer one way or another. They were going to pray until either Peter got delivered or Peter was dead. They were going to pray. So when he left, there were many gathered together, they were praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing, Peter, uh, excuse me, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So Peter comes, he knocks, she hears his voice, she don't even open the door. She runs back upstairs, and Peter's just left standing out there. What is going on? He's ringing the doorbell. You know, let me in. So in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. You see, what, one of the things I learned from this is that faith doesn't have to be perfect. Because, yes, they were praying, but then you read the response and you go, were they really expecting that it was going to turn out this way? Because they're praying for Peter to be delivered, but yet when they say standing at the door, they're like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> so did you really believe or did you not? I, I know that they believed, but this shows you faith doesn't have to be perfect. Sometimes we think in our faith, sometimes we think, well, oh, I have a little bit of doubt, so I don't know. Now I'm not in faith, so is God going to answer? Look, I, I've learned this with so many things that I've walked through and prayed. My faith has never been perfect. I've never 
walk through a situation where I didn't oscillate a little bit. Some, you know, some days you're down, some days you're up, some days you're But what happens is you keep coming back. And you keep focusing, refocusing your eyes, and you keep refocusing your mind, you keep refocusing your faith, and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not giving in to any of that, I'm not yielding to any of that, I'm not basing my faith on any of that, this is what I'm believing. And you keep bringing yourself back to it. You don't yield to fear, you don't yield to doubt. It may enter in, but then you get it out by standing in faith and by, and by standing on God's word. But faith doesn't have to be perfect. This is not like, oh, you have, the, you have a slight little doubt and then you're not even going to get your answer. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that God understands our weakness. And I believe he understands the, the difficulty of seeing things with our eyes and feeling things with our hands and walking things out but still having to ignore that and go, you know what, my eyes are on you. I'm not moved by any of that. My eyes are on you. But guess what? There's a fight to that. And in a fight, sometimes you're going to get scratched a little bit. Sometimes you're going to get hit a few times. But the issue is, do you come out victorious? Do you come out on the other side? So, no, you don't have to be perfect in faith, meaning you never have any doubt. You never have any you know, moments of doubt. That's not, that's not what it is. The, but the bottom line is, do you stand and do you pursue God, and do you keep coming back to his word, and do you keep coming back to what he's spoken to you until you get that victory and until you get that answer that God's promised you? So she kept insisting, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. And then I love verse 18 because this is the the moment where the soldiers find out that Peter's gone. (laughs) Verse 18, now when day came, (laughs) there was no little disturbance. That's Bible talk for they were freaked out. When day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So, you know, as as we read this, and I know many of you are, you're in moments just like this. You're in... A situation where you're having to believe God and you're having to put your trust and your faith in God and there's probably lots of evidence to the contrary of of what you're believing for. But it's passages just like this that you need to be meditating on. Just believe in God that, no, anything's possible. You know what? If he'll send an angel for Peter, he'll send an angel for me. I may not physically see it with my own eyes, but how many of you know that there's been many people delivered by angels that they didn't see it with their physical eye? I mean, he opened this, he opened Peter's eyes to see it. But when we pray and when we stand in faith and when we get miracles and when we get answers to prayer, there's lots of things going on in the spiritual world that you're not seeing. You don't see with your physical eye. There's angels moving around. There's power moving around. There's anointing moving around. There's, there's demons fleeing. There's a lot of things happening in the spiritual world that 
You're not seeing with your physical eye. But when you pray, things are moving. Okay? When you stand in faith, things are happening in the spiritual world. And a lot of times you don't see any movement in the natural world, but that doesn't mean that there's not any movement in the spiritual world. There's movement in the spiritual world, in the heavenly realm, but in the natural, you won't see it until you get that complete and total victory. But that's what faith is. You don't have to see it in the natural. You know this. You see, you know and you believe God is moving. Things are moving in the spirit. God's moving. Angels are moving. Power is moving in the spirit. I don't have to see it in the natural to know that that's the case because my Bible tells me. God tells me that prayer is powerful. The Bible tells me that power is made available to fervent and, and, and consistent prayer of faith. So we know and believe it even though we don't necessarily see it. Amen? And that's what, that's what faith is. And I, I want to encourage you with that because, I, again, I know there are people that uh, and, and we all walk through this at different times. But I know there are those that you've maybe been tempted to quit. You've been tempted to give up. But I want to encourage you, stand your ground. Stand your ground and believe God because he's working. 